the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yellowish-looking thing. I believe they called it a phone book. You could place your ad in the book and hope customers would call. Hello? We've come a Thinking long way. Care these days. Now, there's well, sales around. We have like delivered customers right to your front door with targeted system. digital marketing. tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill. Your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on AM860, The Answer. We are the answer for you. And we're on every Sunday morning, 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can reach me at AM860 in the Tampa Bay area or anywhere in the world online at drbillradiomd.com. Click Listen Live, or you can go to our radio station, the answer, am860theanswer.com, or I think we're also the answer, tampa.com. And uh, click Listen Live there. Now, this is interactive talk radio, and I do uh, take calls. I'm at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. And I want to remind you that we are an iHeart station, so if you're on your cell phone rambling around, you can listen to me as you go. Oh, boy, isn't that fun? Well, I was thinking about all of the hullabaloo, the uh, the big row the president has going on with these four young congresswomen and, uh, and the fake press and all of the tongue wagging that's going on and people saying this is horrible and how did things deteriorate to this point? Well, actually, there's nothing new here. This, this kind of nonsense has been going on since uh, President Washington's second term, and we'll talk about that as we get into this a little bit more. But... I did want to uh, say a few words about Somalia, and the president has suggested that uh, one of the young congresswomen go back to Somalia since she's so unhappy with the United States. And we heard the same thing in the 1960s when there were protests against the government in the Vietnam War, and, and people were saying, well, if you don't like it here, why don't you leave the country and go somewhere else? A few people did. They went up to Canada and uh, did their little stint up there. A lot of people stayed up there that have gone up there to escape the war and to escape the draft and to escape uh, what they saw as an oppressive regime under the uh, Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon era. So this isn't anything new. We have we've seen this and heard this over and over and and. I was even in the middle of it as a young man who protested against the government and the Vietnam War and all of the things that we uh, think of as in the 60s as causing the great rift in our society. So uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm, I'm not at all 
upset about the vociferous and acrimonious interaction between the president and these four young congresswomen. But let's take a look at Somalia. Uh, and I'm not saying that anybody should go back to where they came from if they disagree with the president or if they want something different for our country, although I don't agree with uh, Omar and, and her gang. I, I, I certainly don't want to leave you with that impression. I have no no sympathy for somebody who thinks that uh, our president is a fascist dictator. By the way, that's the same thing that the press was saying about President Washington in his second term and that he was a monarch and a dictator and uh, had morphed into the King of England. And uh, they were upset because he would not side with the Democratic Republicans, the Thomas Jefferson and Madison and Monroe gang, who wanted to be closer to and more sympathetic with the French Revolution, which we all know deteriorated into anarchy and uh, mass murder, ended up with a dictator called Napoleon. And democracy in France had to wait a few more decades before it came to any fruition. And I'm not sure that they really have a democracy as we understand it, uh, but they do have a democracy and they can vote and they have a, uh, a constitutional monarchy that has uh, essentially evolved into uh, into uh, a legislative government. And that's okay, that's good, you know, and I'm glad that they made it. But at that time, there was a big debate as to whether or not we should be on the side of France or Great Britain or neither. And the Federalists, the conservative guys, that was Washington and Hamilton and Adams and Knox and uh, all of the all of the boys from the American Revolution who had fought together and had won the the war against Great Britain and won our freedom. They were considered the Federalists, the conservatives. They wanted a stronger central government. They wanted a central bank. Uh, Hamilton had pushed for assumption of the uh, Revolutionary War debt, which the Democratic Republicans were vehemently opposed to. And Hamilton said, look, if we don't pay our debts, nobody's going to do business with us. The world won't want to do business with us. And the Democratic Republicans said, well, we think that those debts should all just be erased and forgiven. And so that created a big fight. And then there was a big fight over whether or not we should back France over Great Britain in the world war that was evolving in around 1800. Uh, the Napoleonic Wars started uh, at that time in the late 1790s. France and Great Britain were at it. Uh, France was in the middle of their revolution and they were also waging war across the world and in the Mediterranean and the Atlantic and parts of the Pacific. And we got pulled into the whole thing or we were tempted to be pulled into it, and we did and were able to manage to stay out of it because of the Federalist strong policy, and they were a little bit heavy-handed. There's no doubt about it. But the, the bottom line was that the big rift was between the liberals and the conservatives, and the conservatives were Washington and his gang, and the liberals were Thomas Jefferson and his gang. And of course, once Jefferson got into office, he morphed into more of a conservative and more of a Federalist uh, as they often do, uh, you know, that that's just a natural progression, I think, for these folks. So we go back to Somalia. 
Somalia is about 130th or 140th in, in the world in terms of, of its economy and poverty. It's maybe 11, 12 million people. It's a small country on the Horn of Africa, and the Horn of Africa is in the eastern part of Africa. It's the part that juts out into the Red Sea. It's uh, just below Egypt, and uh, it's in a strategic location in terms of shipping through the Suez Canal. Uh, it's a, an agrarian economy. It's poor. They don't have an organized government. There's no central government. Their, uh, their debt is tremendous. It's 75% of their annual income for the country. They have no tax basis. The, the taxation rate's about 2%. So if you don't like central government and you don't like big taxes, Somalia may be the place for you. Uh, they have actually just gotten some gas stations and grocery stores in Mogadishu, which is the capital, the titular capital of the country and the largest city. Uh, so this is a, a poor, uh, strife-ridden. They've been in a civil war off and on for decades, uh, predominantly Sunni Muslim nation that uh, has an extremely high birth and death rate, has a lot of young people with very little opportunity, very little education. It's one of the, uh, the top three countries that people want to leave and emigrate from to the United States or Europe or wherever they can go. And a lot of the people coming across the Mediterranean in the boats from North Africa are Somalis who are trying to escape and get out of Africa and get into Europe. So the president's point, whether you like the way he said it or not, is fairly accurate. You know, uh, go change where you came from because it's a mess. And that doesn't mean that he's telling someone to get out. He's just doing what he does. He's countering and laying down a challenge to somebody who is challenging him and, and calling him out. And uh, he's saying, hey, you know what? Uh, if you think you're so great, then how come you didn't go back to your country and help those destitute people there? And why do you think we're so destitute here? I mean, really, we're not. It, it it's uh, you look at these four young congresswomen. Not a one of them skinny. I mean, they're not obese, but they're healthy, well-fed. They're tall. They're they're uh, uh, well dressed and well manicured. And if they think that they're representing some poverty-stricken group, well, you better think again because they're not. I had to laugh at that, and that, that really tickled me. And I was, uh, I was reading my email, and one of my neighbors sent me this. Uh, you might get a kick out of this. I don't know how true this is. It's about Chelsea Clinton, and she got out of college and got a job at NBC that paid 900000 per year. Now, I assume this is true. Her mom flies around the country speaking out about white privilege. Uh, so there's a little bit of a disconnect there, I would say. Would, wouldn't you, Bill? I mean, the same thing happened with, I told you the story. I think I told you the story, you guys, that I was coming back from uh, West Palm Beach. My folks had a place down there in the 1970s and 80s in, in the Delray Boca Raton area. And I was flying back. And 
Maria Shriver was on the plane, and I, I was sitting in first class acting like I was a big wig, and she was sitting next to me, and uh, she was a little chubbier than she had on this purple suede jumpsuit, and uh, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous flying on planes, and a lot of times I, I don't like to talk, or at least back then I didn't. I'm, I'm a little looser now. I don't know if that's the beer or what, but at any rate, uh, I'm minding my own business, and the flight attendant comes and says, hey, you want a drink, folks, you know, doing what they do, and and she said, yeah, sure, and she ordered a drink, and I ordered mine, and then when the woman came and she went to grab her drink, uh, she was just about in my lap, and so I introduced myself, and she introduced herself, and I said, oh, how's Pammy doing, her sister, who was a tennis star, and her parents, you know, Sarge and Eunice Shriver, the Kennedy family. Uh, Eunice was a Kennedy. She was a sister of Bobby and Teddy and JFK. And so we started chatting, and uh, she wasn't uh, unpleasant. She was, you know, pleasant, but it was interesting to hear her try to justify, and she had at that time gotten a job with PM Magazine, which was an evening news show on NBC or CBS. I forget which channel it was. And she's right out of college. She's 23 years old, and she got a job paying $250,000 a year, which was big money back then. You know, it was like 900000 that Chelsea's getting now for this job. And she said, oh, I got my job on merit, as if being a Kennedy didn't buy her any any special privileges that nobody pulled any strings for her to get a job. And I don't know if Maria graduated at the top of her class or had any outstanding attributes. Um, I don't think she stayed in the job that long because she ended up marrying uh, Arnold and having kids, but and that's okay. I'm, I'm not criticizing that, but uh, come on, give me a break. These people are out talking about the evils of white privilege and they are the the privileged white people. They're the ones who get the breaks. And I'm not saying I didn't get breaks. I mean, uh, certainly with, with two doctor parents, I had a, I had a leg up, but they, they had to scrape their way through. They came from poverty stricken families. And, and my, my mother's father was a coal miner. Uh, my father's parents were a broken couple and they didn't get any help from his dad. So his mother and he scraped by on what they could get, uh, along with their older sister. And my dad worked in high school. He t went to school at night at high school and worked during the day to help, help pay the bills and bring money in for the family. So somewhere back there, there was no privilege. Everybody had to scrape and, and make it. And I benefited from that. And I'm not complaining, but by the same token, I'm not going out and, and and preaching against the evils of that either. I mean, come on. If you have parents who work hard and, and they get ahead and they help you get ahead, well, that's what you're supposed to do. And if you say, well, you know, it's predominantly white people that are getting ahead, well, guess what? The majority of the population is white. And I think that the acceleration of black Americans into the economic mainstream has uh, – been tremendous, and I would dare to say that percentage-wise, there's more black Americans that are getting ahead nowadays than there are white Americans. So 
I don't know what all this nonsense nonsense is about. Now, the 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 nastiness in politics is not new. It's not new. And we tend to think that we are new and unique because we haven't studied our history. When President Washington was elected in 1789, right after the Constitution was ratified, the press was fairly restrained. But by the end of 1792, when he went to run for the second term, the opposition newspaper uh, had succeeded in framing the debate over his economic plan that was devised as Hamilton, the plan to uh, form a national bank and to assume the debt from the uh, American Revolutionary War and the general direction of the administration and the Federalists, Washington and Hamilton and, and Adams and Knox's opposition to the French Revolution, which they rightly so, saw ending in, in anarchy and then a dictatorship, and that was Hamilton's direct out of his mouth. That was his prediction, and of course it happened. Napoleon took over. And so the press was for the French Revolution, and they saw it as a good thing, and they didn't have a problem with the deterioration, or they didn't understand it of what was going on in France, and they didn't want us to be close to Great Britain because we had just broken away from Great Britain. And of course, the Federalists said, well, you know, we're a teenager and we broke away from home. Now we got to go back and make, make peace with, with the family. And along with the push for a, a centrally strong government, which Hamilton understood was necessary for the country to become what it is today the great power that it is, and Washington understood as a way of protecting ourselves from outside interference and attack. So, I mean, these guys had the right idea. Uh, now it's flip-flop, though. Now the Republicans are more states' rightists, and the Democrats are the ones who want a stronger federal government with more social programs. <laughs> it's, it's interesting how it goes back and forth. So then Washington was pro-strong central government. He was anti the French Revolution. He wasn't anti the French Revolution. He was anti the direction that the French Re Revolution was taking. He was for a trade agreement with Great Britain because he knew that if we didn't side with Great Britain, that the first thing they would do in their war with France is come and try and take back the colonies because this was such a strategic location. So the best thing to do was to say, well, hey, we're on your side, Great Britain. Hey, Dad, we're back, and we're here to help. And it ended up working out well because we had a small uh, quasi-war with the French in the Caribbean. We had some uh, battles in the Caribbean with American naval ships and French naval ships in the late 1790s. But the, uh, the English pretty much left us alone, which was good. And the French were tied up over in Europe and in the Mediterranean and in uh, and, and the Indian Ocean and different parts of the world fighting the British. And that was great. So we, we kept our heads low and we pretty much stayed out of it. Well, the way we did this was by uh, forming a treaty with Great Britain. It was called the Jay Treaty. John Jay was the ambassador to Great Britain. And the Jay Treaty was hated, hated by the liberals, the Democratic Republicans, the uh, the uh, Jeffersonians, the the 
Madisons and the Monroes and and a lot of the of the people on the street they were just appalled and the press was appalled and they you know the, the president was a he was a monarch he was a dictator this was a what we would call a fascist regime and and he was making friends with our long-term enemy the Great Britain and so all these attacks started and and uh, the Jay Treaty pretty much brought it to a head and and the press really got nasty and there was even Thomas Jefferson, uh, who was behind the scenes manipulating the press and wrote as Belisarius, a character, and cast uh, harsh criticisms on Washington's high-handed manner, which he saw as an emblematic of the entire administration. And he said this about, this is Thomas Jefferson manipulating the press indirectly and writing this stuff and then having it go, go anonymously. And he said, a brief but trite review of your six-year administration, that is of George Washington, our first president, the father of the country, marked the pro progressive steps which have led the way to the present public evils that afflict your country. The unerring voice of prosperity, of posterity, will not fail to render the just sentence of condemnation on the man who has entailed upon his country deep and incurable public evils. He's talking about George Washington. This is Thomas Jefferson <clears throat> secretly passing on his writings to the press, and this is how he felt about Washington at that time. And there was harsh language on both sides. And, you know, it deteriorated to the point where the Treason and Sedition Act was passed in the late 1790s. Hey, we had only been a constitutional government for a decade. And the Treason and Sedition Act was a way that the Federalists tried to uh, put a, a damper on the press uh, to keep us out of the world war that was raging in Europe between Great Britain and France. Does it sound like today, you know, I mean, there's really not a whole lot different that, that has gone on. So the P Republican press viewed Washington's administration as heading in the direction of an English-style corrupt monarchy, right out of Jefferson's mouth. Our third president, one of our founding fathers. You remember Thomas Paine, even, you know, the guy that wrote the, the uh, Rights of Man and all that and was inflammatory and, and getting the country moving in, in the direction of revolution in the 1770s. And he was just in love with George Washington at that time. After the American Revolution, he kind of fell from public favor. So he went to France to stir stuff up there, and they threw him in prison over there. And he was mad because he didn't think Washington had exerted enough influence to get him out of the French prison that he was thrown in for being subversive and a radical over there. And then he got mad over Washington and the Federalists being anti the uh, French Revolution. And Thomas Paine, you know Paine, the big writer, the, the guy who stirred it all up in the 1770s, he proclaimed monopolies of every kind marked your administration, marked Washington's administration, Almost in the moment of its commencement, right from the beginning, the lands obtained by the revolution were lavished upon partisans. In other words, all the land that the United States obtained in the treaty with Great Britain in 1783, you gave to your buddies. 
Well, of course, that's not true. The interest of the disbanded soldiers was to the speculator. The speculators back then were the people who were buying up the uh, continental dollars that the the uh, continental soldiers who had fought the Revolutionary War were paid in. And, of course, they had gone from being worth a buck to nothing, a continental dam. And, and the saying was, is, I don't give a continental dam, which mean, meant I'm not going to pay you anything. Here, you can have a continental dollar because they're not worth anything. So speculators were buying them for a nickel on the dollar, thinking that at some point there would be an organized government which happened with our Constitution in the 1780s, that the government would assume the debts of the, of the Revolutionary War and would pay those debts, and that these worthless continental dollars that the soldiers had been given would be worth something. And the soldiers were, you know, they were older men by now, and they were in need of cash. They had farms to run. They had families and small businesses. And a lot of them ended up losing everything anyway. I mean, the the founding fathers and the people that fought in the Revolutionary War really and truly gave everything. I mean, so many of them were just ruined. Even Thomas Jefferson died in debt, broke. So the speculators were the people who were buying up these. They were like uh, bond uh, speculators, junk bonds. And then Payne goes on to say, injustice was acted under the pretense of faith, and the chief of the army became the patron of the fraud. He's talking about George Washington. Payne even questioned Washington's military leadership in the American Revolution and said that the victory was due to France and to other commanders. Payne concluded that the his diatribe by charging that history would prove him correct, that in future ages the world would be puzzled to decide whether you are an apostate or an imposter, whether you have abandoned good principles, or whether you ever had any good principles. I mean, he's talking about George Washington. Of course, history has proven just the opposite. So this was uh, at the very inception of our republic. So there's nothing new here. There's nothing new here. It's all the same stuff going on and on and on. And heated politics are not new. Nasty politics are not new. Heated constituent events are not unprecedented in American history. And quite the contrary, this sort of, of uh, animosity has been especially high during tough times. And when governments, when our government is faced momentous issues such as economic crisis in the 2009 era, era uh, the Obamacare Act, all this brought out just intense uh, uh, arguments and shouting and, and fighting. And, you know, the press is, is on the side of the, of the liberals and the, uh, the conservatives have their own backdoor of getting into things and saying things. And I don't know if you guys know who Alex de Tocqueville is. He was a historian who came to the United States twice uh, to take a look at us when we were a young republic. And uh, he was back in the 1830s. I think he was here in the, right after the Revolutionary War was over. And we're reminded of Alex de Tocqueville's take on our political culture in the 1830s. He said, there is still some memory of the strict code of politeness in politics, 
but no one quite knows what what it said and where to find it. Now, this was de Tocqueville talking about us. There was a strict code of politeness, but no one quite knows what it said or where to find it. In other words, uh, Americans have this code of being polite with each other, but we don't obey it. You know, we're not polite to each other. We never have been politically. In the election in 1796 and in 1800, when Thomas Jefferson was trying to uproot the Federalist and uh, went up against John Adams, he even accused Adams of being a hermaphrodite. So if you think that transgender and uh, gender identity issues and that whole thing is new in American politics, well, it ain't. Thomas Jefferson was playing that card in the 1790s, calling calling uh, John Adams, our second president, a hermaphrodite. Well, hermaphrodites can't reproduce, and uh, Adams had three or four kids, so I don't think that that was quite true. Uh, so these guys were slinging mud and going after each other and making up lies about each other from the very outset of our country. And you know what? It came and went. And one of the nastiest, if not the nastiest, election in our history was in 1828 when John Quincy Adams, John Adams' son, was going up against Andrew Jackson. And Andrew Jackson was quite a character. He was, uh, uh, his, his wife had married him without divorcing her other husband. So basically, uh, they were bigamist. But guess what? He accused John Quincy Adams of being the bigamist. And John Quincy Adams had gotten uh, uh, a game board uh, from, from uh, an ambassador from another country, like checkers or, or backgammon. And they would play that in, in the White House. And so when senators or congressmen came to visit and saw them playing, they'd go back and tell, tell uh, Andrew Jackson's gang, hey, they're gambling in the White House. We can use this against them. So he was, uh, John Quincy Adams was accused of uh, bigamy and polygamy, of being a gambler. And, uh, I mean, they just made up all kinds of stuff about him. Of course, John Quincy Adams fought back, too, and had a few things to say about Andrew Jackson. And so the, the lying and the misrepresentation was not new, was not new. And the mean politics seems to go up in turbulent times. So in the 1860s, there was a rise because of the turbulent politics. Of course, uh, Abraham Lincoln was a wartime president, and he implemented a lot of... Uh, dictatorial policies to try to keep down the animosity and the negative press and to uh, keep people in prison who he thought were Southern sympathizers and, and spies for the South. And then around the turn of the, of the 1900s, animosity went up again because of the Spanish-American War and the big influx of immigrants and People who'd been in the country whose families had been here for 50, 60, 100, 200 years are saying to the Eastern Europeans, to my grandparents who were coming over to Ellis Island, saying, 
go back to your own country because, of course, they got here and they were critical. You know, there weren't facilities for them. Uh, they lived in, in slums in New York City and squalor. Uh, my grandfather was fortunate that he had a job to go to in southeastern Ohio mining coal and uh, got a house right away. Not much of a house, but he had a house. They had a roof over their head. They had a wood stove. They had coal oil lamps. They had a well pump with fresh water and a truck garden in the backyard. So they were doing pretty good. They were doing pretty darn good. But a lot of Americans were saying, who had been here for a long time, were saying to the new immigrants who were complaining, if you don't like it, go back to your own country. Go back to Poland. Go back to Romania and Czechoslovakia. Go back to Eastern Europe. Go back to Russia. It ain't new. It ain't new. Then in the 1940 to 60 era, we had a lot of rancor. You remember Joseph McCarthy? You remember all the mud that was slung around that time? You remember the big fights that Truman was having with the press? And the press had even declared Thomas Dewey the winner of the, of the 1948 uh, presidential election before it was final. They published the newspaper in Chicago. Dewey wins. And Truman actually ended up winning the election. And the next morning, he's riding around in his uh, limousine in Washington, D.C., holding up the, the newspaper with the headlines that Dewey won. And they, I mean, they had said all kinds of nasty things about each other. Uh, Dewey calling Truman pro-communist and, and Truman calling Dewey a warmonger and on it went. So... Ain't nothing new here, folks. Ain't nothing new. And I love it. Only in America, huh? I love it when the president gets into it. And, oh, by the way, you might not have known this, but George Washington was attacked even before he was president during the American Revolution. At the beginning of it in the 1770s, someone had published... Uh, purportedly letters that had been written by Washington showing that he was pro-Great Britain and really did not want us to win our Revolutionary War. Now, come on, this is, this is when he was fighting the Revolutionary War. These were forged letters from before his presidency, and it claimed to show in his own words that he privately sympathized with the British. And he also, uh, these letters also purported that Washington thought Americans weren't ready for democracy. They were clever forgeries, but they dogged Washington uh, for decades into his presidency. Now, at the end of his presidency, he refuted them. And the letters apparently, or supposedly, were taken from a, a a captured servant of Washington's, William Billy Lee, who was captured according to, to the, the uh, fake letters. And Lee was something of a body man to Washington and apparently was on horseback accompanying Washington all the time. Somehow got separated from him and uh, they, the British captured him and got these letters. Now, here's what Washington said at the end of his uh, presidency. He said, these are false, and I'll tell you why. 
Billy Lee never got caught. He never got caught, and he never had any letters. These are all phony letters. But the press had picked these back up and had dogged President Washington with these from 20 years before. Ain't nothing new here, folks. But it's fun. I'll be right back. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. With SRN News, I am Michael Harrington in Washington. Exit polls show Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's ruling coalition certain to secure the majority of 124 seats contested in upper house elections today. Japanese media have released result predictions shortly after the polls closed. The public broadcasting system says Abe's ruling bloc is certain to win at least 63 seats and could reach the two-thirds supermajority needed to propose a constitutional revision. Germany's foreign minister warning Iran that its seizure of commercial vessels in a key Persian Gulf shipping lane is contributing to a, quote, escalating spiral that he says could lead ultimately to war. And Pakistani Taliban terrorists opened fire on a police post, then dispatched a female suicide bomber to strike outside a hospital today as wounded were being brought in from the original attack on that police station. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. Man, how can you afford gas for that big SUV? I pay less for gas than everyone else. I got the free Get Upside Gas app and get up to 25 cents a gallon cash back every time I buy gas. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're getting up to 25 cents off a gallon with the free GetUpside gas app while I'm paying full price? You know it. People earned over a million dollars last year. You just got to take a picture of your gas receipt and bam, up to 25 cents a gallon cash back. You don't have to tell me twice. I'm downloading the free GetUpside gas app now. Download the free GetUpside app now in the App Store or Google Play to save up to 25 cents a gallon when you buy gas. Use promo code LUCK. For a 20 cent a gallon bonus on your first tank, that's up to 45 cents a gallon on your next tank. Just download the free GetUpside app at the App Store or Google Play and use promo code LUCK. Save money on gas on every fill-up. Download the free GetUpside app and use promo code LUCK. That's L-U-C-K. 
Do you like winning prizes? How about getting sneak peek opportunities and offers before anyone else? Join the Answer VIP Club today at TheAnswerTampa.com and gain access to incredible contest opportunities, discounts from your favorite businesses, and more. If you're a passionate conservative and want to be rewarded for being a part of the Answer community, sign up for the Answer VIP Club today. Join the Answer VIP Club by clicking the Fan Club tab at TheAnswerTampa.com. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. A blend of sun and clouds today. Thunderstorm in the area by the afternoon. High 89. Partly cloudy tonight. Low 76. Intervals of clouds and sunshine for Monday. A shower or thunderstorm in the area in the afternoon. High 90. Partly cloudy Monday night. Low 78. Intervals of clouds and sunshine for Tuesday. High 89. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Maddie Baggett for AM860 The Answer. You may not be looking for the promised land, but you might find it in a way. On a one and four, over a million names. That's New Orleans. New Orleans. Detroit City. Detroit City. Dallas. Pittsburgh, VA. Pittsburgh, VA. New York City. New York City. Kansas City. Kansas City. Atlanta. Yeah. Atlanta. Chicago. Tampa Bay, all the way, living in the USA. I love that song, don't you? So we're talking about politics and nastiness and lying and uh, false accusations and the phony press. And, you know, we think, oh, this is this is new. No, it's not. And uh, I recounted a lot of incidences, starting with President Washington and marching through the 19th and some of the early 20th century. And I'm going to shift gears here, but I I did want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Uh, One of my neighbors sent me some one-liners that I thought were very apropos for our our show today. Socialism, an idea that is so good, it has to be mandatory. Don't you love that? Now, Bernie Sanders walks into a bar and yells, free drinks for everyone. Looks around and says, by the way, who's buying? Uh And now what's the difference between an illegal immigrant and E.T.? E.T. learned to speak English and then went home. So we've got a lot of humor that is available with the present day uh, political and social climate. Nothing new. All good. Love it. Having fun with it. Now, I wanted to talk a little about U.S. civics. Because I think that a big part of our problem and in, in our misunderstanding of each other is a lack of uh, lack of, of education in civics. And this is something that we should be getting in grade school and in high school. Now, I don't know if they still teach this. I think that some of the states mandate it, but I don't know that all the states do. They certainly should. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open this up, and uh, I've got some new mugs coming. So as a, a, a little perk, I'm going to ask some civics questions, and uh, I'll ask four or five, and the first four or five people to call and answer them will send them out a mug. Now, the mugs aren't here yet. Probably be a couple of weeks. They're still sitting in a warehouse somewhere waiting to be shipped, but they're really nice. I mean, they're they're beautiful mugs. They're, um, they're porcelain, and they're... Uh, 13 ounce and good size, 
handsome design, of course, it has my name on it, which is the most important part of it. <clears throat> so, again, I'm at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. And if you do answer a question, make sure you give Bill your name and address so we can mail you out a mug, a mug, a coffee mug. You'll love it, baby. You'll love it. Oh, by the way, don't forget about the antifungal toenail gel. Now, I gave uh, a sample to one of my doctor friends, and she had a little a little bit of fungus under one of her toenails, and she wanted to know if she could put it underneath the nail into the area that was infected. And I said, certainly, yeah, that'll work too, because she had her toenails all gelled up and real pretty and painted and paid, you know, a couple hundred bucks to have uh, – Somebody do that at the, at the spa. And so you can put the toenail gel not only on the bare nail, but you can, if you don't want to get rid of your, your beautiful gel and your beautiful toenail polish, you can take your, uh, your nail file and push a little bit under the nail uh, once or twice a day, and that should take care of it too. You can get that from the office, free shipping, uh, 727-384-6411. That's 727-384-6411-2995. It's a hell of a deal. I've been using it for six months now, and my nails are looking beautiful, baby. They're looking beautiful. Okay, so what are the first three words of the Constitution? So that's going to be the first question, 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. We will... Uh, Wait for a call on that, and whoever calls and gives the answer first will get a mug. Now, the next question I want to ask you is, how many amendments are there to the Constitution? How many amendments are there to the U.S. Constitution? Okay. Again, I'm at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. I want you to remember that the number of amendments are so few and that uh, don't forget that the first 12 amendments came right after the Constitution had been uh, ratified in the early 1790s. The, the reason that the first 12 amendments came in so fast is that several of the states said, we're not going to join the union unless you have a bill of rights uh, that have these basic tenets in it. And so they put I believe it was George Mason to the task of writing these first 12. So really, uh, from the uh, initial writing of the Constitution, there's only been uh, a handful or a couple of handfuls. And we have a caller. Who we got on the line here? Hey, this is Jim. Who we got? Jim Bodley. Hey, Jim. It's Dr. Bill here. What's up, buddy? Hey, I was calling in on the We the People. We the people. Very good. Very good. And where's that from? <clears throat> St. Petersburg, Florida. Good for you. Now, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, that's from the preamble to our Constitution. And we used to have to repeat that in grade school. I don't think they do that anymore, do they? They need civics classes back in school. I agree 100%. I think that's going to be one of the most important uh, things that that we institute. And I know Trump had talked about that when he was running for president. And hopefully uh, we can get the education department to push that back in. 
Okay, Jim, you got a mug coming, buddy. Make sure you leave your name and, and, and address with, with Bill, and we will get you one out in a few weeks. And thanks for calling. Excellent. Thanks for listening. All right. So what was our second question? How many amendments were there to the Constitution? So we need to know how many amendments there are to the Constitution. We talked about the first 12, and so there's going to be, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you the answer, but you, sh you should know that. You should have some idea. I'll tell you, it's in the 20s total. Okay, here's the next question. This is a tough one. How many voting members are there in the House, the U.S. House of Representatives? How many voting members are there? I'm going to give you some numbers and you can pick from them. 200, 235, 400, 435, 600. So you can pick from those numbers. Again, I'm at 877-969-8600, So we've got a couple of questions out there. This one is... How many voting members are there in the U.S. House of Representatives? And the other one is, how many amendments are there to our Constitution? By the way, what is an amendment to the Constitution? Well, I'm going to tell you, an amendment to the Constitution is a way of changing the Constitution. The Constitution can only be changed fundamentally by an amendment. we got another caller. Who we got on the line? Israeli. Israeli? I'm holding on. We've got someone on the line. Okay, who we got, Bill? My name is Terry Young. Terry, how you doing, girlfriend? I'm fine, and I certainly love your show. Well, I love you for loving my show, baby. Um, there are 27 wonderful amendments to our Constitution. You got that right. And so if you take the first 12 and subtract that from 27, then you've, you've got, what, 15? 15 yes, amendments sir. over over 230 years of our history. Uh, not that's, bad. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. I think Florida had that many amendments in one year. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a heck of a document that it has so few amendments. And remember, the, the 13th, 14th, and 15th all came in at the same time right after the Civil War. So there's another three that you can actually take out. So, I mean, it's, it's rare that we actually have uh, an amendment to our Constitution because it is so well written and so tight. And I think it's just a, a, a real uh, it's a, it's a real compliment to the founding fathers, to their wisdom and their understanding of human nature uh, and of contract law. So it's a great thing. All right. So it make sure really you, is. Yes, it is. And make sure you give Bill your your name and, and phone number again. It might be a few weeks before I get these out, but we will get you a mug, Bug. No problem whatsoever. Thank you very much. And I must admit, I agree with we the people. They need – well, I, I graduated from Northeast High School here. And we were required to have civics before we could graduate. Yeah, and some states still do, but uh, I don't think all the states do. I don't know if they – is California, are they still state. part of the union? I'm not sure. Did they secede yet or what? I, I, I think they're right on the cusp. <laughs> I truly do. I don't know if secession or if the earthquake's going to take them away from the mainland. One or the other. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, okay, thank so you we're, for your thank I you. so enjoy it. Thank you, baby. Okay, so the next question is how many U.S. 
representatives are there in the House of Representatives? I need a number on that. And next caller will, of course, get a mug as well. Now, I <clears throat> also wanted to give you another question, uh, civics question, which is a right provided for only U.S. citizens? And I'm going to give you a list. Run for governor, vote for president, run for Congress, vote for state representatives. So here's your choices. Which is a right provided for only U.S. citizens? Run for a governor of your state or any public office, vote for the president, run for congressperson, vote for state representatives. So that's, that's your four choices on which is a right provided for only U.S. citizens. Again, I am at, seven, at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. And, oh, by the way, on the toenail uh, gel, if you want to jump in my little study, I'm going to do a little study and submit it to the FDA and uh, – uh, get some formal approval for this. I'll give you your toenail gel for free, and you can come to a party at the office at a reception every other month. Uh, it requires that you come in for uh, a brief physical exam, get a little blood work. We'll check blood work again at three months, six months, and a year. Just take a few minutes of your time for those events, and it'll help with our little research study. And again, I'll supply you with free toenail gel till you die. And uh, <laughs> I'll also, or your toes die, whichever, and I'll also uh, invite you to receptions at the office. We're going to have every couple of months once we get this up and running. We'll have uh, snacks and in the evening and, and drinks and uh, let everybody take their shoes and socks off, and we can run around and compare toenails. It'll be a lot of fun. It'll be the toenail jam fun. We are about ready to uh, wrap the show up. I apologize to any of the callers that didn't get through. The, uh, the phone lines blew up for your information, Doc. Oh, my God. Well, I'm so sorry, everybody, but we'll pick this up next week. How much time we got left, Bill? We're coming up on two minutes and change, sir. We're coming up on two minutes and change. Apparently, the phone lines uh, got overloaded, and Bill couldn't keep up with it all. So I'll do some of this at the beginning of the next sh- of the show next week, and we'll have a whole lot of fun. By the way, there are 435 U.S. representatives. It was capped at that because uh, it was getting overwhelming, so the the uh, the – Constitution was amended, I believe, and or either that or it was made a federal law. I can't remember which one. But at any rate, we capped the House of Representatives at 435, and the representatives are, are a portion per population, and that's why we're having this big fight over illegal immigrants being identified because the president is saying, look, you can't give California another two U.S. representatives if who they're representing are people that aren't even allowed to vote in federal elections who are not even citizens. So that's one of the arguments that he is making, and I think it's a good argument. And the other, what was my other question, Bill? I can't remember. Uh, which, oh, what, what are you allowed to do as a, as a citizen that no other people are allowed to do? You can vote in a federal election. Now, you, if you're a non-citizen, uh, you can still uh, run for certain offices, uh, but uh, if you become a citizen, you can run for for federal offices too. So that's that's uh, that's uh, you know a different thing. 
Well, we had a great show, and I had a lot of fun today, and I really appreciate you guys uh, being with us today. And I, again, I agree that with Jim that we need civics reinstituted in our all of our schools. This is so fundamental to holding us together as a nation. There's only a few things that really unite a people and define a people. One is the language they speak, and not only the language they speak, but the dialect of that language. And number two are our 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 morals and our ethics and our civic uh, values and beliefs. So we're almost at the end of the show here, Bill. 20 seconds. So remember, when you are out there in the world, you're an American not because you were born in the United States, not because your skin's white or black, but because you speak English and you hold the beliefs of the U.S. Constitution and the ethos and morals of our country. I'm Dr. Bill. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.